0: This isn't maybe going to reach them necessarily, but let's give a, a, just a round of applause for the staff at Hilliard for making this place nice and clean every week. And You know, as a, as a church, I, I think it's always better to leave somewhere, like when we move on or we, we're somewhere, if you're Christian and you go to a restaurant, it's always better when you go that it's better than it was when you got there, right? How many of you think that we should always leave a deposit of love and grace? And kindness, and uh, so I just I wanted to thank them. They might not even get this, but we'll call them and say thank you so much. Said has been great, our guy out here. So when you walk through, thank you, Mike's reminded me. When you walk through, give Said a high five, a hug, make him eat another muffin, whatever you want to do, but just say thank you for being great, and tell him to come see us at the movie theater next week. Yeah. So we're going to the movie theaters next week. It's going to be awesome. I'm so excited. If you saw the kids' class in there, you can see why we need to move on, because we are bursting at the seams. There are children literally running up the walls in there. And uh, so also, please thank the, uh, the wonderful kids staff who are uh, serving in that area. You know, kids uh, can be a little crazy. How many of you have children, or, or uh, you've seen them on TV or whatever? <laughs> Let me tell you about my son, Jack. He's two years old. He's, he's the little kid that looks like a, a blonde bulldozer running around after church. And Jack uh, is being potty trained. And potty training is, is basically the same thing as boot camp or basic training. It's that difficult for the parents. And uh, Jack is being potty trained, so he was spending some time on the toilet, you know, figuring it out. And uh, I just saw all the details I'm going to give you. And uh, Evie comes running into the living room and says, Jack, made the toilet go everywhere. Oh. What? <laughs> so we run in there, and water is flooding out of the toilet. So, of course, I you know, spend the crucial 30 seconds yelling at him before dealing with the, uh, uh, the problem. So then we get all the towels in our house, and we're you know, trying to mop up all this water, and I'm spending about a good 20 minutes working the plunger, trying to make the, the toilet unclog, and you know, it overflows another time. Uh, and so we deal with that whole thing, and we take all these wet, soaking toilet water towels downstairs... And you're like, what does this have to do with the message? Nothing. It's just a funny story. <laughs> we take all these towels downstairs, and Evie comes running down the stairs and says, Jack is putting the clothes thing. You know, kids never can tell you what it is. They always have to circle the wagons on what they're trying to tell you. The, the hanger of the clothes, the, the clothes hanger. Yeah, that. What's he doing with it? He's putting it in the fan. So he had turned on a fan. He was putting a clothes hanger in the fan. He's butt naked upstairs, you know, because he was <laughs> So I run upstairs, Jack, you know. So kids, yeah. And, uh, and and that's not all, you know. He put a marshmallow in the toaster this week and turned it on. Uh, then I go downstairs to my office and I have uh, a lot of nice uh, music studio equipment in my office downstairs, and there was water on it because the toilet had leaked through the ceiling and leaked onto my studio. And that's when we got to practice the great. We talked about bigger grace last week, and God has been testing me on grace. I love my kids. And uh, they're, we're, we're raising him up into champions, and someday he will be able to use the toilet on his own without flooding our house. Can I get an amen? Amen. Well, we're finishing up a, a five-week series we've been in called Bigger. And we've been talking about having bigger faith in a bigger God, a God who's bigger than every challenge, every circumstance. And the, the tagline for this series has been, we need to elevate our perspective of God. Somebody say the word elevate. 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 We want to... Whatever, wherever we see God and however we see God, I guarantee you that your vision of God is too small. God is bigger than how we see Him right now. And so I, I was, you know, our prayer is that every single week that we come and talk about this topic, that we would leave with an elevated perspective of God. And as we finish up this week, and I thought it was fitting for the, the end of this series, and as we transition to move to the movie theaters, I want to talk about the topic of vision this morning and talk about having bigger vision. I really believe that, that when you have an elevated perspective of God, when you lift up your eyes and begin to see the majesty and the wonder of God, the power of God, the incredible, magnificent awesomeness. Is that even a word? We're going to use it. The awesomeness of God, that it will lead you to have an elevated vision for your life. An elevated vision for your life. You see, I don't know where you, where you come from. I don't know what your family situation was like. But I know that the world has a way of pushing our noses into the mud. Come on. That you you go through, oh, I had a marriage and and it didn't work out. Or my my kids or my job or my upbringing or whatever, whatever you're at in life, that life has a way of kind of pushing our head down. And what that does is it limits our vision of life to see... You know, this is all that I can see. This is the only place that I can end up. I could only make $14 an hour because that's my limitation. Or I could only ever uh, maybe lead a small group. That'd be the top thing that I could do. I could never be a church planter. I could never be a missionary. I could never start a business because your vision is down from whatever circumstances in life. Even if it's just internally, you have a small vision. But we serve a God who the Bible says is the lifter of heads which means God puts his, his, his hand of love on your forehead and he, he lifts you up and he says, look, there's more. I want you to see that life can be more than just getting by or getting ahead or getting even. God is the lifter of heads. Come on, he wants to lift up your vision to see that he can do something incredible. God can do some, some extraordinary things through ordinary people who believe in a God who is bigger. And so bigger vision is what I want to talk about this morning. And I want to say one thing to you as we get going here that... Bigger vision starts with seeing what you don't see. You say, what does that mean? That sounds like preacher talk. You're just talking out of both sides of your mouth. Well, you know, it's actually possible to see but not see. When I was uh, 21 years old, I got LASIK surgery. You familiar with LASIK? It's freaky. They take a little razor blade and cut your eye, and then they pull it back, and then they use a laser beam, and they correct your vision. It's totally freaky, but it takes like five minutes. Actually, it's really simple. But I had LASIK surgery... And it was amazing because I remember being you know somewhere I think I was took a vision test, and, and they're like, "Can you read the letters?" And they all looked like Russian to me, and I'm like, "Why did you give me the Russian version?" And they're like, "This is English. These are you know English letters, and you should be able to read it." And I'm like, "I can't." And I, and I knew all of a sudden, you know, I, I need corrective lenses." And I went and got glasses, and I remember when I got glasses that it was incredible because I could see what I couldn't see. I could see before, but I didn't see clearly. I didn't see accurately. And then later on, I went and got LASIK surgery, and it was even more profound, the difference that happened. I remember the day after I had my LASIK, they kind of put the blindfold on you because they want your eyes to heal uh, after that, uh, this procedure. And I woke up the next morning, and I took that off, and I went outside, and it was incredible because I now saw what I did not see, even though it was there all along. So what changed? The world? Did the world change? No, I changed. My vision changed. I began to see what I didn't see, and I want to say that in life with our vision, and I'm not talking about necessarily our eyes, even though you could apply that to what I'm talking about today, but the vision of our heart, the vision of our life, the vision of our spirit, that God wants us to see what we don't see, okay? Let me tell you a story from the Bible. There was a man named Elisha. He was a prophet of God, and he had like a superpower, And this is what it says in 2 Kings chapter 6. It tells us this story that the king of Aram, which was basically Syria, he would would concoct plans in secret with his generals and his captains, and they would talk about where they were going to attack Israel, and this is where we're going to send chariots, this is where we're going to send horses, this is where we're going to put the archers. And Elisha was a prophet of God, and God would speak to him the secret plans. Elisha would hear the secret plans of the enemy, and he would go and tell the king of Israel, this is what's going to happen. And then they would be ready for them every time. So, of course, the enemy is like, who's the spy? Is it you, Joe? Is it you, Bill? Who's the one telling them what we're literally saying? They know exactly what we're going to do. And one of the, the generals comes and tells the king, he says, no, look, it's this guy, Elisha, he's a prophet, and God is speaking to him our plans, okay? And so, of course, the king says, well, before we do anything else, who do we need to deal with? That guy, right? Right? Like, if you, if you get in a fight, I was telling somebody this the other day. If you ever in a fight and there's like five dudes, hit the biggest guy as hard as you can first. <laughs> I'm not advocating violence or fighting, but if you have to, you know what I'm saying? Like, you've got to take out the power zone. Come on, right? You hear what I'm saying? So the king of Aram says, we got to go get Elisha. Before we attack Israel, we have to deal with this guy. He's hearing our plans. If you get anything else out of today, please don't get what I just said before. That, <laughs> you're like, I don't, this, he's He's scary. He's a big man. No, okay. It says, So one night the king of Aram, we're in Second Kings chapter 6, verse 14, sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city where Elisha was. When the servant of the man of God got up early next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. He had an accurate vision of what was going on. Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. And Elisha says, Don't be afraid, for there are more on our side than on theirs. And his servant's like, uh, no, there's not. There's two of us. There's an entire army surrounding the city. You're smoking crack. Elisha, what's going on? You're, you're crazy. But Elisha could see what the young man didn't see. And he says this, key in on this right here. Then Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes And let him see. Now, this guy didn't have a problem with his natural vision. His natural vision was perfect. He saw the army all around. But Elisha says, Oh, Lord, open his eyes and let him see. And it says, The Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, come on, when he looked up, when he looked up, it says, He saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. 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 Like, thank you, Lucas. This is like awesome. The armies of God, the angel armies. Elisha could see what they could not see. And Elisha prays, and all of a sudden, boom, that, that, that entire army struck with blindness. God was there. The prayer that our prayer today as we go is God, open my eyes to see. When when I look up, when I look at the Lord, when I elevate my perspective of God, God is going to give me vision. He's going to let me see what I do not see. Let me just tell you right now today that maybe you see the circumstance in front of you. Uh, I I have this much money. I have $500, but rent is $700, and it's due on Tuesday, and there's a gap between what I have and what I need, and that's what you see, and you see right, but when you begin to look up and say, God, I put my faith and trust in you, God is going to elevate your vision, and you're going to begin to see what you do not see. You are going to begin to see what you do not see. God wants to give us bigger vision. I want to tell you today, God wants to show you something today. God wants to open your eyes. Our prayer is, God, open my eyes to see, because there is more going on than we may realize right now. Right, This reality that we observe around us is not everything that there is. There's a spiritual realm. There's more going on than what we see. And I believe that God wants to give every single person in this room what I call a GSV. And I told some people what this was earlier. A GSV, it's a God-sized vision. Say that with me, God-sized vision. What's a God-sized vision? Well, Jamie Buckingham kind of puts it this way. He says, we need to attempt something so big that unless God intervenes, it's bound to fail. We need to do something so big that unless God comes through... It's going to fail. It's going to fall flat on its face. A GSV, a God-sized vision, is something that you cannot do. You cannot achieve on your own. Somebody says, well, I have my 13 perfect steps that I'm going to go through, and I will go from working here to here and marry this person at this time in my life, and here's my five-year plan and my perfect 13-year steps, and it's totally achievable in your own strength. That's not a GSV. That's a YSV, a U-sized vision, right? Right? <laughs> Just making that up right, just spitballing right now. But that's, that's a U-sized vision. But we don't, God wants to give you a GSV, a God-sized vision. It's, it's way bigger than your ability. It exceeds your ability to achieve it without God because faith is found in that space between what I can do and what I cannot do, but only God can do. Come on. It doesn't take faith to do a, a YSV. It takes faith to do a GSV. And bigger vision, seeing what we don't see, God revealing what He wants us to do and giving us that God-sized vision. It's a byproduct of bigger faith in a bigger God. It's a recipe for success. When I have an elevated perspective of God and I put my faith in that picture of God, I put my faith in God, that coming together, that that, that meeting point creates big, huge, God-sized vision where ordinary people can do extraordinary things because of a bigger God who's working through their life of faith as they're following him. You know, I love successful recipes. My wife yesterday made the Bomb Diggity uh, pasta sauce. We call it long sauce. It's my, my mother's maiden name, I think I got that right, is Caffaro because my grandpa's full blooded Sicilian. Come on, I'm starting to preach glory right now. <laughs> full blooded Sicilian. And his recipe for long sauce, we're talking about meatballs. Hallelujah. Wow, I almost just fell out in the spirit. <laughs> Italian sausage, okay? Put together tomatoes and basil and onion. I mean, just all cooking together. And it's it's delicious. You know what I'm saying? And this is incredible. And she puts this recipe together, and it cooks all day. And I just kind of like was at the door, like almost wetting my pants, so excited to get in there and eat this pasta sauce. That's a recipe for success. You know what I'm saying? You put those things together, and something good happens. Right? Faith in a big God. Big faith in a big God. You put those things together, it results in something incredible. Bigger vision comes out of this, it's a recipe for success. And so as we, as we elevate our perspective of God and we begin to look for a God-sized vision, we need to ask this and pray this prayer. God, what would you like me to do? God, how would you like me to, to live my life? God, what is that thing that I'm made for? God, what would you like me to do? This is one of the most dangerous prayers you can pray. God, out of everything in the world, what would you have me to do? And when you pray that prayer, it's very dangerous because what happens if God answers it? What happens when God says, you know what, I want to put this in your life to do. This is the task or the challenge that I'm going to give to you. When God hands you that GSV on a silver platter and you go, oh my word, because it's way bigger than your ability. It's way bigger than your capacity. It's way Bigger than your intelligence. It's way bigger than your emotional strength. It's bigger than you. It's scary because it's a God-sized vision. But God, what would you like me to do? It's so dangerous, but this is what God wants us to ask. To bring our life and say, Lord, in my weakness, my inability, and inadequacy, God, I just hand you my life and I say, Lord, could you do something with this? And I guarantee that God will come and speak to you and say, You're more than you think you are. You can do more than you think you can do. Look up because there's more around you and there's more on our side than theirs. God wants to give you a God-sized vision. Come on. God wants us to elevate our perspective. But God might show you something when you pray that prayer that absolutely breaks your heart. You know, you look out into the world right now and there's so many areas of brokenness. That even if every one of us were to give ourselves 100% our entire life to one issue, there would still be more out there to do, right? The, the, the world needs the kingdom of heaven, needs the kingdom of love and light, needs the kingdom of God to come and be manifest in our communities. You know what I'm saying? In our race relationships, the kingdom of God needs to come. In our political Environment. The kingdom of God needs to come. Not the kingdom of the Democrats or the kingdom of the Republicans or the kingdom of the other parties that we don't really know about. Right? We don't need those kingdoms. We need the kingdom of God to come and be manifest. Because that's where real change is at. Come on. Uh, little girls and boys that don't have fathers and mothers don't need... Uh, 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 the, the Republicans or the Democrats, they need Jesus, they need families, they need, they need God's kingdom to become manifest. And God might show you something when you say, God, what would you have me to do? That literally breaks your heart. And something that, you, when you look at that, you say, I can't do nothing. I can't just do nothing. Pastor Bill Hybels calls this a holy discontent. It's something that when you see it, you can't turn away You can't do nothing. You can't stop thinking about it. It captivates you. It it grabs hold of you. And and, and you know that God is placing something inside of you that you have to do something about. A God-sized vision. And it might be scary and it might cost you and it might be challenging. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But it's what you're supposed to do and you can't not do it. Because God shows you. You prayed, God, what would you have me to do? You know, my dad, he, he saw a man at a church conference, and it was a friend of his for many, many years before, and he was an Irishman, his name is Paul Bradley, and he says, "Hi, I am Paul Bradley, and I come from Belfast, Titanic City. The ship was fine when she left Belfast, you know, and he goes through his whole spiel every time, and he's a wonderful, uh, beautiful man, and Bethany and I have had the opportunity to spend time with Paul and Caroline, so if they're listening in Ireland, hi guys, we love you, and uh, my dad saw Paul at a church conference, and Paul was over from Ireland, and he tried to avoid him. And he, Why would he avoid his friend? But he avoided him because Paul was working for a ministry called Love Ireland that was wanting to plant churches and, and bring resources over because the nation of Ireland is less than one-half a percent Christian. You go, well, don't have the Catholic Church? Not Well, yeah, but very, very diminished and less than one-half percent Christian in this new generation. And my dad knew Paul was working on this ministry, and he, he tried to avoid him because he knew that if he talked to Paul that his heart would get captivated, and he would have to go to Ireland and give lots of money and send teams. He knew that as a pastor, he couldn't not do nothing. He couldn't. That was a horrible grammar. The teachers in the room are just rolling their eyes at me. He would have to do something, right? And finally, Paul kind of cornered him, and he began to talk to him, and my dad said his heart was set on fire, and we went, and a team went to Ireland, and, and we got invested and began to look at planting churches and gave, as our church in Medford, we gave lots of money to plant churches and gave lots of money to support ministry and sent teams over and built relationships and couldn't just do nothing. Bethany and I were watching videos of Compassion International. How many of you are familiar with that ministry? And Compassion International, we were watching these videos and they're talking about, you know, $38 a month I think is what you can can pay to sponsor a child and all the benefits that that brings and as Bethany and I were watching this video, God put that GSV in us and we're like, no, $38, come on, no I, like, no, I don't want to do that. And But no, we couldn't just do nothing. We had to do something. God wants to build holy discontent in you where you look at something and you say, I can't not respond. God is doing something in my life. So I want to challenge you, pray, God, what do you want me to do? As we... Move towards the conclusion today. I want to give you four marks, four marks of a GSV, a God-sized vision, bigger vision that God wants to give us. Number one, a GSV will captivate you. It will grab your attention and not let go. How many of you are like me and you get obsessive about things? The other day, Kyle and Judah can attest to this, I was getting not the amount of internet speed that I was supposed to get from Comcast. (laughs) We, we like to joke about Comcast that like, it's the devil's enterprise on the earth. You know, if you deal with customer service and if you work for Comcast, we love you. But anyways, I wasn't getting the internet speed that I desired because I'm supposed to get 150 and I'm getting like 30 or 40, which is still blazing fast, but I'm you know, grumpy about it because there's a gap between what I think I should be getting. So I, I become obsessive with these kind of things. So I'm like, I call them out, they come, the guy comes in, he's trying to fix it, he makes it worse, which is frustrating. You know, then I'm figuring it all out, and I spend the entire day researching cable modems and routers and, you know, internet cables and internet speeds, and I finally figure out that, yeah, the guy was right. It's my equipment. It's only rated for up to 100, and there's interference, and so I'm never going to get what I want out of what I have, so I have to do something different, but I was captivated. I was obsessed, and literally, it's 9.30 at night, and I'm out out in you know our living room, and my wife's going to sleep, and... You know, I'm I'm wasting my evening plugging in a laptop that barely works into a modem, trying to get faster internet. Why? It doesn't do anything for my life, doesn't make it better, but I get obsessed, right? And that's the only thing I can think about. You know what I'm talking about? I'm like going without food and water to fix the internet, to get it there. I'm obsessed. And a God-sized vision will captivate you. It will obsess you. It It looms so large in your life that it's all you can see. Everything is seen through the lens of what God is calling you to do. When God placed in Bethany and my heart that we were to plant a church, that's all that we could think about, right? Because it's a God-sized vision. It's way bigger than us. It takes lots of prayer. It takes lots of guts. It takes lots of craziness just to say, God, I'm going to trust you. But it looms large. It will captivate you. It will grab hold and not let go. You know, we waste so much time looking at things in life that are worthless. And God wants to show you something that will be way bigger and way better than maybe what you're currently living for. And a God-sized vision will just grab hold of you and not let go. It will captivate you. It will take you out of life that's just about getting ahead or getting by or getting even. You know, the rat race and survival mode. God wants you to thrive, not just survive. This vision will captivate you. And you know, when you're following Jesus, he's going to lead you to the things that he cares about. When you're a follower of Jesus, it's not just, he's not just going to lead you to all the nice neighborhoods. No, he's going to bring you to places that people need hope and life and joy. Come on, somebody. You'll encounter this powerful, holy discontent. You'll see a God-sized vision of what could be and what can be if you will partner your faith with a bigger God to see the world begin to change. Because when God wants something done in the world, he goes through a person, right? There's this, this fancy theological word, it's called incarnational. It means literally in Latin, in meat. God wants to, he, he works through people. When he wanted to save the world, he put himself into human form in Jesus and he incarnated himself and he, and he brought life and hope into the world. When God wants to change a neighborhood, he, he puts a fo- one of his followers there and says, it's, here you are now. People say, where's Where's God? He knows my address. And then somebody comes and knocks and says, Will you come to church with me? He, he was looking for you. Do you understand? He incarnates. He puts himself. God wants to incarnate himself through us. He wants to work through us as his church, as his hands and his feet. And his vision will captivate us. Number two, it will challenge you. How many of you like love to be challenged? There's always those, those weirdos like Philippe, you know, who just wants to climb mountains and travel all around the world and eat things with weird stuff sticking out. You know, Right? He likes the challenge. He skydived. Is that the right? Skydove. Yeah, whatever. Some people love challenge. I personally don't love challenge. Somebody's like, hey, you want to go climb that mountain? No, I'm going to watch it on National Geographic. (laughs) Hey, Jake, you want to eat the world's largest hamburger? Okay, I'm down for that challenge. Yeah. (laughs) But the God-sized vision will challenge you because it's beyond your ability without God. You know, today some of us are going to go help our friends Matt and Jen unload their moving truck, and I pray to God they don't have a piano. Because my mom had this. You have two pianos. We're not going. We're out. We're out. We're all out. My mom has this beautiful Baldwin upright grand piano that literally weighs more than the Empire State <laughs> Building. And I remember having to move this many times as a, as, a, as a young man with my friends, and you literally could not move this piano by yourself. It takes like at least four to six dudes, right? Right? Or Chuck Norris, and maybe he could do it. But it, it was incredibly challenging. The vision that God wants to place in you and, and show you is way beyond your ability to do by yourself. It's going to require others. It's going to require God. It's going to challenge you. It's impossible without help. But, you know, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, It's impossible to please God without faith, you you have to believe that when you come to face that challenge, you got to put your faith in a God who is bigger than every challenge, every circumstance. But that God-sized vision is going to challenge you at a deep level. If it's not challenging, it's probably not God. It's probably you. It's a YSV. Because a GSV is going to freak you out. It's going to challenge you at a core level. You're going to have to grow and get stronger in prayer. You're going to have to grow and get stronger in the Word. You're going to have to grow. Maybe watch, some, maybe watch a little less Netflix and spend more time in God's Word when God challenges you with the vision He wants to give you. Number three, it's going to cost you. Uh-oh, I'm out. Right? It will cost you. How many of you have experienced that when you follow Jesus, it costs? Right? Oh, but I heard salvation is free and you know God's love is free. Absolutely. To get in on it, totally free. To walk with Jesus, it costs you something. Right. Jesus said, you got to take up your cross and follow me every day. Die to yourself every day. It costs you. It costs Jesus to die on the cross for us and to save us from our sins and to pay the ransom price. There's a man in the Bible named Nehemiah. Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king of Persia. He had a choice position. Right? This would be like being... Bill Gates' personal secretary, or something. You're probably making 300k a year. Uh, you know, all your expenses paid. You're doing very well, right? This is Nehemiah. He's the cupbearer to the king. Literally, was the king's most trusted servant. Uh, in a a grand worldwide empire, just an incredible position, and God puts a holy discontent inside of him and says, Nehemiah, look at Jerusalem, and Nehemiah thinks about Jerusalem, and he realizes the wall is down. People are mocking the city uh, of Jerusalem, mocking uh, the the house of God and God's dwelling place on the earth, and Nehemiah gets a holy discontent, and he says, I can't just sit here and sip wine for the king and and have the king's ear and live in Persia. Uh, I have to do something about this, and he says, king, And this could cost him his life, but he says, I I need to go. And then he goes to Jerusalem, and everybody there is perfectly happy and content. They all jump in to help him. No. People are like, what are you doing here? You have a hidden agenda. I'm not helping. If you don't let me do what I want to do, then I'm not. It's a huge mess. But Nehemiah couldn't. He couldn't just do nothing. And so he went there. He was captivated. It challenged him, but he went, and it cost him so much. Listen to what it says in In the scripture here, the book of Nehemiah, for the entire 12 years I was governor of Judah from the 20th year to the 32nd year of the reign of King Artaxerxes, that's fun to say, neither I nor my officials drew on our official food allowance. So Nehemiah couldn't take what he should have gotten or he didn't take it. The former governors, in contrast, had laid heavy burdens on the people. They took a daily ration of food and wine. They took their 40 pieces of silver. Even their assistants took advantage of the people. But because I feared God, I didn't act that way. I devoted myself to working on the wall and I refused to acquire any land. In other words, I gave my life to God's thing and didn't take care of my thing. This is a big thing for Americans. Let me just tell you right now, we like to go, well, when I finish with my thing, that the leftover goes to God. No, 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 no. A God-sized vision, a person who sees God and is living following Jesus into the world, they're not going to put themselves first and God second. They're going to put God first and themselves second. Why? Because when you put God first, you get the benefit of what God wants to do in your life. You see, that happened. If you put yourself first, you're going to miss out on what God wants to do. Come on, I'm talking to somebody here today. Oh, well, God gets my leftovers. Just think about how that would work out. I don't come to Bethany and say, hey, honey, I had a nice meal. Here's my leftovers. Right? That would not be good, unless I went somewhere nice and she was at home. Then she'd like those leftovers. But when we go out to dinner, I don't get myself... Let's say our budget's $25, so I get a $23 meal. Oh, hon, here's the $2 for you to get a side of fries, right? No, 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 that's not how it works. Love, there's value there in our relationship. She gets the best, gets the first. That's how it should be. Come on. With God, though, why do we act like, well, you know, man, I, really, I did really well. Oh, God, I think I have 10 cents left over for you. You know what I mean? God, oh, you know, I, I spent my whole week, I was able to watch all of the new Netflix releases, Right? And you know, I know I like, read a half of scripture. you know. And I'm not trying to put guilt on you, but I just want you to understand that there's a cost following Jesus. And Nehemiah says, look, I put aside my thing and I worked on the wall. He says, I asked for nothing, even though I regularly fed 150 Jewish officials at my table, besides all the visitors from other lands. The provisions I paid for each day included one ox, six choice sheep or goats, wow, six choice sheep or goats, and a large number of poultry. And every 10 days, we needed a large supply of all kinds of wine. Yet I refused to claim the governor's food allowance because the people already carried a heavy burden. He says, remember, oh my God, all that I've done for these people and bless me for it. Nehemiah had an understanding that God's vision for his life was going to cost him personally. Let me just tell you right now, the kingdom of God only advances on sacrifice. Sacrifice. If you think, oh, you know, here's Joy Church, and we'll come together, we'll go to the theater and eat popcorn, and it'll just be la-la-la, it'll never cost us anything. No, it's going to cost, if we want to see God's kingdom advance in the city, it will cost us our time. Come on, there's a lot of people in here that are going to open up a joy group at some point and invite people into their house and love on them and feed them. And people are going to come in that smell weird and that voted for the wrong person in your opinion. And people are going to come in and and, and they're going to infringe upon your time and they're going to call you after 10 p.m. And it's like, ah, this is my life. I'm giving my life away. Welcome to Christianity. A God-sized vision. Come on. A God-sized vision. Come on, get this in your spirit. A God-sized vision. It's going to cost you, but it's so worth it. You You know, when a person... Works really hard and they buy a beautiful mansion and it's a million dollars up on a hill. And they worked really hard and they got all the granite that they wanted and all the, the cabinets and everything's done right in their 200 inch projection screen and you know, all this kind of stuff. They don't come in and say it wasn't worth it. The cost, because it fulfilled their vision, was worth it. Good things cost something, cost an equivalent amount. Bigger vision is bigger cost, right? If you say, God, use me, God, use me, God, use me, then don't cry when you you get used. Right? Because bigger vision has a bigger cost, but it's so incredibly worth it. Let me just tell you, every price I have paid following Jesus pales in comparison to what Jesus has done for me. Last week, we talked about bigger grace. If you weren't here, go back and listen to that. Because, man, when you think about the bigger grace of God... All that that is, the riches of heaven poured out into you and I, even though we didn't even deserve it, that Jesus gave his life, laid it down for us. Nothing I do for God equals what he did for me. And I count it all joy. I can say like Paul, everything else is rubbish compared to following Jesus. There is fulfillment in following Jesus. Come on. And lastly, mark of a GSV, a God-sized vision, bigger vision and a bigger God, it will compel you. It's going to captivate you, it will challenge you, it will cost you, but it will compel you. When you get a GSV, you'll be catapulted into action. Catapulted into action. You will be so captivated that the challenge and the cost pale in comparison. Because bigger vision compels you. And when you get bigger vision and you get a GSV, it compels other people. Right? Do you know what draws people into things is when there's real excitement and passion there's a genuine desire to see something come to pass. You know the kind of restaurants I don't go to. If Matt came to me and was like, "Hey, yeah, I ate this taco place and yeah, meh." Oh, I really need to try that. No. I like when people talk about tacos and they're like, "These tacos literally melt portions of your spine." These tacos are like putting gold nuggets in your mouth that suddenly taste like heaven. I mean, like, you know what I'm saying? They just go to a whole nother level, and it's exciting. It's like infomercials. But wait, there's more. You know, it slices, it dices, it, it it's a cellular telephone, you know? And, and there's excitement. What does it do? It draws you in. I'm going to tell you that a God-sized vision, it's going to compel you to action. You're going to jump into action. You know, you're not going to wake up in the morning like, Ugh. You're going to jump out of bed freaking out like somebody thinks you're on drugs because your eyes are going everywhere because you are compelled into action when God puts a GSV inside of you. Come on, you begin to see what other people don't see and you start talking crazy like, you know what? I think we could adopt 100 children in our church. Do you know there's orphans in our city? Come on, come on. I was just talking to a family this week that has a big heart for this. There's orphans in our city and Jesus said, go and and feed the hungry and, and take care of orphans and widows. Come on. Do you believe that God could use our church to to save orphans in this city? Maybe there's people in our city that don't have food and don't have... And you go, well, what's the church going to do? That's us. That's what... What what am I going to do? Come on. Right? We always want an organization to do something. Organizations don't change the world. People change the world. People that get a God-sized vision, that get holy discontent, that say, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to be captivated by this and, and challenged. And even though it's costly, I'm going to be compelled to do something. God wants you to see what you don't see. He wants to give you bigger vision today. Come on, somebody. Yeah. Come on, somebody. God wants to fill you with a God-sized vision that will literally fill your sight. God wants to do incredible things in your life extraordinary things with ordinary people, and God wants to do an extraordinary thing with our church. Next week, we're going to the movie theaters. Next week, we're going to be right in the middle of the city where 60,000 people a month go to those movie theaters, and I believe in my spirit, right? Down to my toes. I believe that God is going to use us to see thousands of people transformed in our city, and wait for it. That's not our GSV, because we can do that, okay? God wants us to see thousands of people transformed in our city, but God wants us to plant thousands of churches around the world, which that is a GSV. That we want to make disciples that make disciples. We want to be the people that, that it costs us, that we give sacrificially, that it's not just about us and our families and our community, but God says, I can do something extraordinary that in this church in the city of Eugene, that could have an impact across the entire world, that gives millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars out of our community to world missions, to see the hungry fed across the world, to see orphans adopted, to see widows taken care of. Come on, that the heart of Jesus would come out of our church, that when people come into our church, they, they go, it's not just about here, there's more. And they could absolutely not do this vision if God were not there. I never want it to be said about our church that we did it. It should always be said, God did something here. Come on, it should always be said that God did something here.